we are glad that you're here with us this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, hear God's word this morning in, as Paul writes to us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of, of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, this this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, as we begin this morning, when we talk about marriage, we understand that marriage brings up kind of mixed feelings for some of us. Some of us, we have great marriages, and this isn't going to be that much of a kind of wake-up call for you, and others, we might be struggling, so this message kind of maybe will cause some different mixed emotions. This is my, my real prayer this morning is that you would feel comfort in it all. Maybe you're going through a tough part of your marriage that you would hold on and understand that God's grace is sufficient for you. As we talk about this, we're kind of doing in like a 5,000 foot kind of elevation over this passage. I'm not going to dive really deep into all kind of what this kind of looks like, but I'm going to give you an overview because we're coming back to the same passage in, later in the fall uh, but this morning, again, it's hopefully it will be a time in which we can just see God's grace in this all. Well, John Wesley wasn't quite the charmer with his words when he told his wife that his marriage was the cross he had to bear. It wasn't really romantic when he told her in their engagement, he literally turned to her and said, I will not change one thing. He said, I will not preach one less message. I will not travel one less mile, but you will have to adapt to everything I do. Well, as you can imagine, their marriage was off to a, a rocky start. And the sad part was it kind of remained there for the remainder of their marriage. Molly wasn't much better. One historian writes that if John Wesley searched the entire kingdom, he would not find a less suitable wife for himself than Molly herself. She was the jealous type, had a horrible temper. She, she used to actually find joy in, in sending John Wesley's private letters into his opponent just to humiliate John Wesley himself. Who said they saw Molly one time literally dragging John Wesley through the house by his hair. Why one martyr, one historian literally called this 30-year marriage martyrdom. You're probably wondering why it was such a war. 30 years of, of hardship, and yes, there's probably many reasons why this marriage was so difficult. His tenacious schedule, his unwillingness to change in marriage, his, his 
closeness in which he got to other single women and which just inflamed Molly and her jealousy. There's Molly's problems in all of it, her, her temper, her, her anger, her, her desire to get revenge. But I believe there was a deeper problem as we look at their marriage. I think their deeper problem was they went into marriage trying to seek and build their own kingdoms. Trying to go about it in their own selfish gain. Imagine the difference. They weren't seeking their own kingdom, but using their marriage to seek God's kingdom. Imagine the difference if they they got over themselves and began to, to seek their spouse's gain. Imagine the difference. They weren't seeking their own vision of their marriage, but they began to seek God's size vision for their marriage. This morning I want to talk to you on a God's size vision for our marriage. My, my purpose in all of this is to show us the great joy that marriage can be, how, how God designed it for our joy, but the only way we find this joy is by dying to our own desires and our selfish inclinations and beginning to seek God's desire in it all. So as we kind of begin this morning, don't, don't nudge your spouse in this. This is not a message to say, hey, look, you need to improve here. This is a message for ourselves. A message in which we can say, I want to die to myself and begin to seek my spouse's gain for the beauty of the gospel. Because what, what we see here is this God-designed marriage is this, this beautiful thing that God has created for all of us. That again, when we begin to die to ourselves, that's when this joy is be able to be able to felt in its greatest degree. Because we all understand that this guide side vision isn't always that easy. We both kind of come into marriage with different visions of what we expect it to be. In fact, just for a second, imagine Dawn and Beth with me. Dawn and Beth are this imaginary couple. They're engaged and they kind of have a vision for what they expect their marriage to be. Don has his expectations, what, what he expects and what he longs for. He, he wants a wife and he's excited that, that he'll have a wife that will be there when he walks in the door after a hard day and she'll be able to cook him a nice meal. She desires a wife that will be able to, to stay up late with him and watch the kind of movies that he likes, the action-packed movies. He wants a wife that's always in the mood. Beth doesn't quite have that same vision. Her vision is quite different. She wants to be romanced. She she wants to be pursued in this marriage. She she wants somebody who who will be there at the end of the day in which she can unload her concern and talk about her day with and in which they can have intimate conversation with. She wants somebody to to go on walks with her, buy her flowers. She she wants somebody to, to, to be excited about her beauty. So we have two separate visions here. Different visions. These visions aren't necessarily wrong in themselves, but notice how they're both centered around self. And if Don and Beth continue down their ways, seeking their own visions in their marriage, eventually what's going to happen is there's going to be conflict. So, what they need in this marriage is not a lesser vision, but a greater vision. They need God's vision. And as they begin to seek God's vision for their marriage, the other two things will kind of play out in themselves. So he begins to say here, Paul is trying to say here, I I need a higher vision, and this higher vision is exactly what we see. 
God designed marriage for us to be able to use our marriages for his kingdom's sake. Paul tells us very clearly that marriage is here is a design to showcase this, this great story of God's redemptive story throughout history with his love for the church. And just think about that for a second. Paul is going to say marriage is designed to showcase Christ's love for his church. And you and I have the opportunity to illustrate that through our marriage, which means that our marriage now becomes evangelistic in its purpose. So that when our children look in, they should see a a picture of the gospel. They will be able to see a great big Jesus who, who came to sacrifice, as the husband sacrificed on behalf of his wife. They should see Christ's love, his, his servant leadership love, as he died to himself for the benefit of the church. Same way when children look at their, their mother, they see this love of, of this reverence and respect for their husband. The submission under his leadership and therefore they should be able to see the church in its beauty. How Christ loved the church so much that it comes under its head. So we begin to see this so clearly in this passage. It's a powerful passage and again we're not going to go into much great detail. But we're going to come back to this passage. But this morning we see this call on this marriage so clearly. Paul tells us very clearly, this is what he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing water with the word, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So what we see is this great big vision. And in this vision, we begin to see how, how beautiful it truly is. Paul says it's a mystery. That yes, our marriages are supposed to reflect the gospel, and maybe mystery is... It's not a big enough word. It is profound. It is mysterious. But as he begins to clearly show us, he he says, yes, our marriages are supposed to illustrate the greatness of the gospel. And what a profound truth. The problem is how many of us wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to illustrate the gospel through my marriage. How many of us go into our day saying, today I want to show my coworkers, I want to show my neighbors, I want to show my, my children the, the beauty of Christ's love for his church. And the way I'm going to do that is through the love of my spouse. Probably not many of us wake up with that intentions, but shouldn't we? Should this not be our aim and our goal exactly if this is what our marriages were all designed to do? To showcase the beauty of Christ's great love for his church? The question we asked this morning is, how does that take place? We're going to see five things in which we can add to kind of, kind of uh, habits that we want to devote ourselves to. So yes, our marriages begin to showcase the gospel. Five habits, first of all, is sacrifice. Willing to lay down our rights for the benefit of our spouse. Secondly, healthy friendship and communication. Thirdly, grace and forgiveness. 
Fourth, we're going to see a, a desire to be able to, to have a, a steadfast love. A, a love that, that, that is gracious and, and forgives, which leads into that steadfast manner. I said five, but I think I combined them. We'll get them in a little bit. But the first one is sacrifice. Sacrifice. At the heart of the gospel is sacrifice, right? The heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ sacrificing on behalf of his church. And if the center of the gospel is all about sacrifice and our marriages are supposed to showcase that, should not our marriages be marked by sacrifice as well? In fact, we see it so clearly in the passage. In fact, he, he begins here, he starts with husbands. He says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and next catch it. And Christ gave himself up for her. There it is. This is sacrifice. He, he gave himself up for the church. So in the same way, he's saying, husbands, I need you to live a sacrificial manner with your spouse. Be willing to give yourself up for your spouse. Be willing to die to your own desires so that her desires can be felt. Then he goes on to say, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. In essence, what he's saying again is this is going to, to take sacrifice. For, for all of us, we're, we all have kind of selfish inclinations born within us. We desire things and we're selfish about them, so to love our own bodies comes naturally. We don't, we don't even think about it. When we're hungry, we go get food. When we're thirsty, we go get something to drink. You see, our, 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 our inclinations for ourselves is on the top of our mind. And, and now what Paul is saying here, to husbands specifically, he's saying, I want your wife's inclinations to be on your mind. Love your wife as your own body. I, I need you to, to think about her wants and her desires. I, I need you to sacrificially go about your life thinking about your wife first. In essence, what he's saying is it's going to take sacrifice on behalf of your husband if he's going to showcase the gospel through your marriage. It's going to take you dying to yourself on a daily basis. It's going to take you to put your wife's needs in front of your own. That's important. And, and I begin here, and I know it's kind of reversed in the passage, but I begin here with the husbands on purpose. Because what I've seen kind of throughout my time in ministry, is husbands use a passage like this and they use it as, as a weapon against their wives. Say, so you're called to submit to me and obey my commands, but yet here's the problem. If a husband is portraying his role in the marriage, his role is sacrifice. His role is to die to himself. His role is to, to put the church's needs, his wife's needs above his own if he's going to, to be Jesus. So if we're living out this passage, is it impossible for us as husbands to use this as a weapon against our wives? Because why? Jesus was so gentle in dealing with his church. He's so loving. He's so sacrificial. So it's impossible for us to use a passage like this. No, we're called, as what Wayne Grudem says, what leadership kind of looks like in the house, is many times saying, yes, yes, ma'am. She's your helpmate. She, she brings ideas and, and dreams and goals to the table. And so us, to be husbands, means that we die to our own wants and we begin to serve our wives and lift them up just as Christ did for the church. 
takes sacrifice. And he turns to the wives and he says, yes, he calls them to submit. And we think about that, again, it takes sacrifice to be able to do that. And I know in our culture, it's kind of a bad thoughts about what this looks like. But here's the thing we have to remember again. The question we ask is, who has the harder role in this passage? If we're called to, to replicate the gospel, which one ended up dying? Jesus died for the church. Those, therefore, as we look at this passage, I know we get a lot of bad rap for the submission part, but, but the harder part is dying for your wife. And when we die for our own desires and our own wants and our inclinations, the submission part comes so easily. In fact, the question I ask you is, is it hard to submit to God's leadership in our lives? Hopefully we would say absolutely not. It's a great joy. Why? Because we know God cares for us. He loves us. And he puts, he puts our interest above his own as he came to die for our sins. What we also have to understand about this submission, it's written in the passive voice. Again, which means I can't as a husband take this passage and call her to submit. It's passive voice, which means that it's voluntary. The great joy of this submission is it's a voluntary act on her behalf submitting to your leadership. The great joy of it, though, is it all, it all centers around sacrifice. And when a husband dies to himself and a wife submits to his leadership... That's when we see the gospel so clearly in marriage. He might be saying that, well, that's hard. But what does this take? All we're doing is we're taking all the other commands of the gospel and we're applying it to our marriage. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others more important than yourself. And imagine if that verse was on the forefront of our minds as we took it into our marriage. There, there's the beauty and the joy that comes about in a God-ordained, designed marriage. When we begin to consider their desires above our own, and we go about this seeking their wishes and their desires, and we're able to sacrifice on their, on their need. But as you understand, sacrifice, it doesn't come naturally to us. Which means that because it doesn't come naturally to us, our marriages now become a gift to our sanctification. See, what relationship in marriage does is it forces me away from myself and on dependence upon my Heavenly Father. What a great gift that is of marriage is God has designed it for us that we can't do it on our own. That's why you look at Ephesians chapter 5, the search says, be filled with the Spirit. This, this is what it's all about. I need His help. So, so what marriage does in my life is it a great gift because it teaches me to be dependent upon His Spirit on a second-by-second -second basis throughout my day. Again, I'm not, I want to serve my own needs, so what does it take for me to get away from myself and begin to serve my wife? It takes me saying, God, I need you today. I need you to kind of allow me to serve my wife in the way you called me to, to serve her. So this is a gift. As Gary Thomas, the author that wrote Sacred Marriage, he says this, that our marriages now become a mirror to us. A mirror, which it becomes a gift because it shows me where I'm falling short in my walk with Jesus. My marriage now reveals to me where I need more patience. 
Marriage reveals to me where I need to, to act more selfless in my, in, in, in my actions toward my wife. It becomes a gift in where I begin to say, hey, where I am I going about in, in, in this idea of the fruit of the Spirit? Where can I love her more, serve her more? But here's the problem. We don't use marriages for a mirror. Oftentimes, we use it as a magnifying glass. We, we spot all our spouse's errors. We never use it as a mirror to reveal the, the, where we're falling short. And the problem with that is if we're not using it as a meal, we're, we're cutting our own sanctification short. What we need to say, hey, hey, Holy Spirit, come and search me. Show me where I can where I can serve my wife in a greater way or my spouse in a better way. And as you and I begin to use it as a mirror, what it begins to do is it begins to evaluate where am I in my Christian walk? Am I, am I walking towards holiness? Where am I falling short in this? God, help me so I can better showcase the gospel to my spouse. See, what happens in our marriages is or at least in the Christian life, we can fool a whole lot of people about how we're doing in our sanctification process. We can fool a whole lot of people in our walk with Jesus. You know who the person we can't fool? Our spouse. So as you and I begin to use this as a way, to, as an indicator to see how we're doing in this thing, then we begin to say, hey, how am I treating my spouse? And if I'm not treating her well, there's, there, there needs to be some work in my own life. See, see, a great indicator, our spouse knows how much time we're spending with the Lord often. They can tell if we, if we were praying to him in the morning, how we went about our day. They, they can tell these things. So therefore, man, I got to use it as a mirror to reflect those areas in which I need to go to work. So again, that I can give my children one of the greatest gifts that they can have is see a healthy marriage, but more importantly, that they can see the gospel through my marriage. That they can see the great joy of the Christian life is when I die to myself and as I serve other needs, they can see the joy that is better to give than to receive and they see that in our marriages. They see if we truly believe it. They, they begin to see the great joy of the Christian life is when I submit. You know why I started in verse 21? Because we're called to submit to each other. This is the essence of the Christian life. My whole life is, is being submissive to, to leaders and government officials, as, as Paul would tell us later in Romans. The whole book is being submissive to, to my boss, specifically to, 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 to pastors and elders, and submissive to my spouse as well. And when you and I begin to show this to our children, they are able to see a greater grasp of what it looks like for Christ to love his church. In fact, I'm reminded of a person, the theologian from Princeton, B.B. Warfield. And you're familiar with B.B. Warfield, but you understand that early on, if you are, you understand that early on, when he was simply engaged, they, they were going on their honeymoon, and they ended up in this incredible, horrible storm. Not sure what happened to this storm, but we understand that his wife was never the same after the storm. She ended up getting sick, eventually becoming an invalid. She's dealing with kind of fear and anxiety from this storm again throughout her life, which impacted B.B. Warfield's kind of way he went about his marriage. Again, this happened at their engagement. So the entire time of his marriage, he had to make sure that his world revolved around his wife and Princeton University. He never took any other speeching engagements. He sacrificed that on behalf of his wife. In fact, it was said that he, he never was gone away from his wife 
for 39 years of his life, more than two hours at a time because of all the care she, she needed. 39 years serving his wife. And one of the Princeton students was able to observe this and what a gift it was to these Princeton students as they saw Christ-like love up in person. They saw what sacrifice was all about as people we were for sacrifice on behalf of his wife. So friends, if we are going to showcase the gospel through our marriages, it begins with me dying to myself and serving my spouse as unto the Lord. That's the great beauty of it all. That's where our greatest joy comes about. Secondly, we not only need sacrifice, but we need to have healthy and intimate communication a part of our marriages. See, our marriages kind of rise and fall on this issue of communication. Every time I've kind of been throughout ministry and been counseling couples, it really comes down, if they're having a problem, it comes down to one of two things. They're either having unhealthy communication or they're not communicating at all. We don't want that. In fact, again, if we're trying to look at the gospel, what does the gospel show us between Christ and his church? The church knows his voice, meaning Jesus is speaking to his church throughout his word, and they know his voice and attend. We, we pray without ceasing. It's all about conversation. So the way that we have intimate friendship within our, our relationship in marriage comes through communication. We need to, to communicate with each other. We need to pursue each other. In fact, in my time of, of, of ministry, specifically with military couples, I've heard it said over and over again that military wives feel closer to their husband when he's deployed than rather than when he's in the home. That's a red flag. Think about that for a second. They feel closer to their spouse when he's thousands and thousands of miles away than when he's in the same room. Why does that take place? I'll tell you why it takes place. It's based off of communication. Usually when the husband's deployed, they're able to communicate over the phone and they're talking about and at a deeper level of conversation. When they get back in the home, they, they begin to ignore each other. And yet this is where our, our intimacy is formed. We need to engage each other in communication. So begin today. Maybe it begins as you come home from work, you tell your spouse about your day, and even if you're in a position in which you can't kind of explain what you did, what you can do is explain what you did on the way home. Talk about what you listened to on the radio, the podcast you're listening to. Talk about the things that are going about. Just be a listening ear to your spouse about her day. Let her explain those things. It begins in conversation. One of the best things we can talk about is spiritual things. Pick a passage. Go through that passage together. Talk about how God is, is working in your life. Be moving in your walk together. Jonathan Edwards and Sarah Edwards had such a perfect marriage is because after the kids went to bed, they spent time praying together, spent time going through a devotion together. In our culture, we usually do it separate. Maybe you begin to, to do it together so that you're in communication. See, what we see throughout the gospel is a pursuit, right? We see Jesus pursuing his church. So what we need to do in our marriages is begin to pursue our spouse. Don't allow the separation to get colder and colder and colder. No, pursue your spouse in conversation. And it begins here with ourselves. 
This is how intimacy is formed. It's formed in communication. So yes, we need sacrifice. We need intimate communication that leads to friendship. Thirdly, we need to understand that we need, we need grace, we need forgiveness, and we need to forgive often. Because what marriage is, is it's placing two imperfect individuals and placing them together in covenant relationship. And when you take two imperfect people and you place them together in covenant, uh, in covenant relationship, eventually you're going to hurt each other. One spouse is going to hurt the other, and the other spouse is going to hurt the other, and therefore what you're going to need is grace. And again, what do we see in the gospel? We see at the center of this message is forgiveness. So we have two options. Put in covenant relationship with imperfect people. Eventually we're going to send each other. You have two options in this. You can record all those things that your spouse is doing wrong. You can take a record of it. Well, what does that create? It creates bitterness. It creates separation. It doesn't create harmony and peace. Or you can be a person who forgives. A person who pours out grace. What do we need to help us in this thing? And one of the things we need to do is ask God to reveal our own sin to ourselves. I mean, imagine if you just said, hey, I'm not going to concentrate on my spouse's sin. I'm going to concentrate on my own. God, reveal all the sin in my own life that you have poured out your grace on my life. Imagine what that can do to your life. Because there's a tendency, again, to focus on your spouse's sin. And when you're focusing on your spouse's sin, you end up with this pharisaical attitude And the worst thing to any relationship is a Pharisee who goes around spotting other people's sin and yet ignores the sin in their own life. So as you're reflecting on the gospel, how many times God has forgiven you and how many times your spouse has forgiven you, what does it do? It tends to lead you to be more gracious. How can we be forgiven so much in our own sin and yet then hold that forgiveness and grace and not give it to other people? See, 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 the problem with divorce is it wrecks this picture of the gospel. Here's this picture of a God who, who pursues his church. A picture of, a, of, 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 of Jesus Christ who came to lay down his life for his church, forgave his church. Why? So they could have this, this, this relationship, Jesus and the church for all of eternity. A love that endures. A love that continues on. And what does divorce do? It shatters that picture. It says, I'm through. And what Jesus hates divorce, as we see in Scripture, is not only does it take what he has joined together and made one flesh, but it also distorts the picture of the gospel. Here's a picture of Christ who loves his church. Picture of his love that endures, forgives, and never ends, and yet divorce shatters that picture. I've heard it said from a child from divorce 30 years after the fact, he says divorce is like a funeral that never ends. The pain and the hurt, it's not the answer. So what he's saying in this passage, he's saying, hey, hey, show forth the gospel. And the way we show forth the gospel is by being gracious with each other. Second, or lastly, it showfaces the gospel through our commitment for each other. As we are committed to each other that with a love that endures. Have a love that continues on, a love that forgives, a love that doesn't give up. In fact, what we notice about marriage is this. Marriage is 
It's not based off a contract, it's based off of a covenant. Here's the thing about marriage, that it's not based off a contract, it's based off a covenant, which means it's not based off of performance. It's all about you. It's the promise that you made in marriage. So I can't point and at my, at my spouse and say, look at what you've done to me, therefore, I'm going to break this marriage off. No, it's based off of my promise that I made before my family and friends and before my God and my spouse. And I love them till death do us part, in season and out of season, when it's going good and when it's not going good. See, it's covenant. So therefore, when you and I begin to look at marriage, well, what do we begin to see? That when I love my spouse when it's hard, I see a picture of Jesus pursuing his church even when his church sins. When, when I want to give up and I, yet I keep going, again, the world gets a picture of this unending covenant. And yes, I understand there's biblical reasons for divorce, abuse, and adultery. But many of the divorces that are taking place in, in our culture aren't based off of those things at all. It's based on a person saying, I'm not willing to die to my own sin. I'm not willing to die to, to myself so that I can be able to, to showcase the gospel in my marriage. In fact, I'm reminded of the story as we close. Robertson McKillen, he served as the president of Columbia University for, for many, many years, 22 years. Under his leadership, the university doubled in a mission but yet in his time, his wife was showing the early signs of dementia at the age of 55. As these signs kind of progressed, there came a time in which his wife would be so full of anxiety and of him separating and going to the university that she would make this mile and a half journey trying to find him on a daily basis. Sometimes becoming so frantic and, and so scared that she would do this ten times a day trying to find her husband. Eventually they realized that something has to change. For Robertson, this, this decision was hard for him. Is he supposed to continue serving the Lord at the, at the university that God has entrusted him with? Or is he called to serve his wife? But yet listen, listen to what he wrote at his retirement in which he began to speak to his, his students about this decision. He says, the decision to come to Columbia was the, uh, decision to come to Columbia was the most difficult I've had to make. The decision to leave 22, laters, 22 years later, though, painful was one of the easiest. It was almost as if God engineered the circumstances so that I had no alternatives. The decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. So I told the students and faculty, as, as a man of my word, integrity has something to do with it, he says, but so does fairness. She cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. If I cared for her for the next 40, I would be, not be out of her debt. Duty, however, can be grim and stoic, but there is more. I love Mariel. She, she is a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, occasional flashes of of wit that I used to relish so, her, her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of continual distressing frustration. She says, I don't have to care for her, I get to. It is a high honor to care for such a wonderful person. And you look at that commitment, you see the gospel, don't you? 
See, somebody who's willing to die to himself, his own profession, to say, I am going to care for my spouse. And again, as we close, we want to close in prayer. Understand, in a room this size, there's many stories in our marriage. But today, would you look to yourself? See how you can pursue your spouse. See how you can die to your own desires. See how you can to think about your spouse's dreams and aspirations and goals. Would you ask God to do a mighty work in your marriage through yourself first? That God would restore your, your love, maybe you're kind of weaning on your love, that God would restore that passion and that love for your spouse. He can do a mighty work. See, I can't expect anything in my marriage that I'm not willing to pray for first. And God can do a mighty thing. He can transform hearts. He can restore broken relationships. So let's pray. God, I pray that your grace would be felt in this place. Again, the great news of the gospel is that you sent your son to die on, behalf, on our behalf while yet we were still sinners. You didn't wait for us to clean up our act, but you came to die for us and sacrifice for us so you can transform our hearts. God, we pray that you would do the same thing this morning in our, in our lives. That you would soften our spirit. That, that you would create this humble dependence upon you and your word. Pray for those people that have experienced divorce. Maybe it was their fault. And God, I pray that they would understand if they confess their sins that you are a God who forgives them. But maybe it wasn't their fault. So God, I pray today that your arms of comfort would surround those individuals. Allow them to understand that you are a God who is with them, that will never leave them nor forsake them. And you are a God who will stay by their side, even when it seems so hard to, to, to make it through. God, I pray for the marriages in this place. God, that you would bring healing and restoration to those who are on the rocks. God, that we would see our responsibility together as the family of God to surround those marriages that are struggling. Bring them support. Let us be people who are on our knees, as we sang earlier. Let us be people of prayer. God, I pray for our children and the choices they make. I pray that they would learn from us. They would catch that, yes, it's a great joy to sacrifice on behalf of our spouse. God, we pray for their spirit. Their, their future marriages. God, I pray that you would protect them and watch over them. God, the generations would be able to say that, yes, our marriages proclaim your greatness and your story. Be in this place. Be the great comforter that we know you are. God, let us turn our eyes to you and see you are the help that we need in our time of need. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.